Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. You know, Anne, we often talk about sliding door moments and how much we love those seemingly random ways that we meet people. I love that our guest today, Rebecca Rothstein, is here because that's one of those moments for me. And I'll share that story in a sec, but let me just tell you a little bit about her. Rebecca is an industry leader for Pilates, bone health, and movement education, and she's the founder of the Buff Bones Exercise System for Bone and Joint Health. She's trained instructors in more than 30 countries, and she's served on a whole bunch of osteoporosis and bone health councils and working groups and a whole bunch of other really, really cool stuff. We just discovered that she knows your Pilates teacher, which is such a fun, small world moment. Yeah. And I took her class earlier today. And for any of our listeners who are also focused on bone health, it's a virtual class. I recommend it really highly. Okay, back to that sliding door moments. We both were in a marketing program five years ago, Seth Godin marketing program. It was awesome. But like hundreds of people, I think possibly over a thousand, we got in these little self-forming groups where you just kind of found people that seemed like a kindred spirit. And I connected with Rebecca and a handful of other people. I loved her energy, her engagement, her spirit of collaboration, and I was also super interested in the project she was working on in that program, which was called Buff Bites, a virtual program about little bite-sized things you could do around bone health. And it grabbed my attention because I've been focused on my own bone health since I was in my 30s. Then we found each other again in another program, and at that point, I have this thing that if I keep running into somebody, (laughs) I am supposed to know them. Totally. So welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. I am so happy that you are joining us. Thank you both. I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about your journey. It's pretty circuitous, so (laughs) fasten your (laughs) seatbelt. As you mentioned, I'm a bone health and exercise specialist with a background in Pilates, But it really began many years ago when I was a teenager as a ballet dancer. Mm. And I had a number of injuries that turned out to be very different from what the diagnosis was. But I ended up quitting dancing. And in that time afterwards, I went to college. And uh, when I was at Smith, I studied American studies, uh, which was a very, very big change and art history, but I worked in the sports medicine department as an athletic trainer. So it's basically rehabilitation for athletes because I thought, well, at least I'll go into physical therapy because I knew injuries very well and I was interested in the body. And then I had a experience where I just realized I needed to completely separate myself from anything related to the body because it was still it was still a bit of a trauma of having lost my identity, especially as a ballet dancer. It's it's everything who you are. Was it actually the injuries that caused you to, to stop dancing? Was it directly related? It was primarily the injuries, but it was the injuries that also created such frustration. So mm. um, I had already left home to dance and I would be in rehearsals and having to really only perform as best as I could in rehearsals and then sit out much of class because it just, it hurt so bad and I had to try and mm. save my body. 
And I just started getting more and more frustrated and it just began the cycle of a big burnout. Yeah. And I probably in my imperfect world, I probably should have taken time off after that before going to college, Mm -hmm. but I went straight to school and had to go from one very clear focus to another. I needed to know what I had to do. So I latched onto physical therapy and uh, working in the training room and realized sometime in that first semester that I needed to just completely remove myself from anything to do with the body, which is how I ended up going to art history and American studies. (laughs) And then after I graduated, I ended up working in public relations and marketing in corporate America and New York in publishing and then in television and then eventually in a startup. And it wasn't until I was laid off that was, I would say, the first of my, it's not really an aha moment. It was more of a devastating, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life now moment that turned into probably the biggest blessing or one of the biggest blessings I've ever had, which is that this was the start of the dot-com bust. Mm. And so at that point, it was very hard to find a job, whereas previously it had been very, very easy about five years earlier when you know, VCs were throwing money toward any anybody who had a product idea. So all of a sudden it was hard to, to find a job and I had just bought my first apartment. So I suddenly had a mortgage in New York City and needed to find some income. And so I decided that at least on the side, I would get certified in Pilates. How old were you at this point? Let's see, I was 26. Mm. So it's really pretty amazing. By, at 26 years old, you'd already had two pretty dramatic things happen, yeah. right? Yes. Like having to exit ballet and having that whole traumatic experience and now being laid off at 26 right. with a mortgage. With a mortgage. And something that I didn't mention is that along the way, once I'd moved to New York, I started seeking out help from some of the dance medicine physicians mm-hmm. for the injuries. And eventually that had led me to Pilates. I was doing injections, all these things that were extremely painful. And then one of the therapies was Pilates and it was far less painful than any injection. So I decided to stick with that. Well, it is a little painful on your abs. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's not that it's easy, but it wasn't this excruciating joint pain. So I'd been doing that for a number of years, just as a patient in physical therapy, and then just segueing as a client and really enjoyed it. So I decided at the layoff, I decided, you know what, let me get certified at least so I can teach this on the side so I can have some income while I'm job hunting. And I did a a very specific training course that was very anatomy focused because I had just been really drawn to that through some of the teachers that I had learned from. And that just changed my life completely. I realized I did not want to go back into an office and this is what I was going to do. So it just was a, a pretty quick decision. It was the first time in my life where something had really come to me very easily. So everything else I had studied in school, I mean, I had always been a perfectionist, which is ironic for your perfectly imperfect podcast here, <laughs> but I had always done well, but I'd struggled. I mean, I worked really, really hard. And this was the first thing where it just it, it was, I, I was in the flow. Everything just came naturally, memorizing stuff and understanding the concepts of all the anatomy just made sense to me. It all clicked. And that was also how I knew it just felt right. So I ended up pursuing that 
And so I was teaching Pilates for a while. I was also teaching teachers. So I was part of a, a, a teacher training curriculum. And the stuff that I taught included special populations or which is also known as injuries and conditions. So it fit directly into my old PT interests. Yeah. And one of the, the topics in the curriculum that I taught was osteoporosis. And at the time, I also had taken another course, a workshop on osteoporosis and learned a startling fact that 98% of your bone density was, was developed by the time you're like 18 years old. And I had stopped menstruating when I was a teenager. I had started late as many ballet dancers do. And I had menstruated for a very short time before it just stopped. And this is now I know this is something that's actually quite common. It's called athletic energy deficit, hmm. which means that the amount of calories that you're getting is not enough to meet the amount of calories that you're spending. So you're exercising oh, yeah. so much, you're not getting enough caloric intake to match that. It's not an eating disorder, although an eating disorder can also be another thing that is part of that. But in my case, it was just, I didn't get enough calories for as much as I was exercising when you're going like six hours a day and such. So that menstruation cessation essentially is a big red flag for leading to osteoporosis later on. But nobody talked about that at the time. So I didn't realize it. Do you think it wasn't known or it was just they didn't know what questions to ask? Or why do you think that is that nobody talked about it? I think it's a couple things. For one thing, the dance medicine world has evolved dramatically in the last 30 years. There's a much greater emphasis on wellness in general, on mental health, all mm. these things that were never considered when I was dancing. Yeah. People didn't talk about these things. There were all sorts of other, there were forms of abuse essentially that were permitted. Like, I think it's part of the the larger culture that we're part of, that there are all sorts of things that now are completely unacceptable mm -hmm. in every kind of workspace that would pass previously. Yeah. So I think it's partly that. And I think there just wasn't as much attention to it. I think there's far more certain, I don't think I know there's far more attention to osteoporosis now than there ever was previously. Mm. And I'll, I'll come back to some of that and the next part of the story of the journey as well. But I think it was not something that was discussed. Got it. I think Certainly, it probably was recognized to some extent, but it just wasn't part of the greater awareness. So anyway, when I when I discovered that, it was a big light bulb for me to, to get my own bone density checked because I knew that, well, that would put me at a lot of risk. I wasn't having estrogen in my system that is necessary to menstruate, but also to build your bone density in those mm. critical years. And then it already runs in my family. So I already have the hereditary factor. And on top of it, I'm very small, very small bone, fair skinned, these other factors. So I knew that I was pretty high on the risk factor scale for it. So I figured, let me just get a baseline now for later in life, because it's there's a pretty good chance that I'll develop it later. And then I decided to get that bone density test. And it came back very shockingly that actually you have already qualified as osteoporosis in terms of the low density of your bones. Wow. You were only like 28 or something, right? I was only 28. Yeah. And in a way I was really fortunate because usually people find out about this because they've fractured. Mm. So usually you'll have a fracture 
then that will create a red flag to a physician. In the best scenarios, if you're lucky, the physician will then order a bone density test. And that's actually part of the advocacy work that's going on right now within the medical community is to help recognize osteoporosis and help detect that if there is a presence of a fracture, you must get a a bone density test to see if this is related. I kind of want to go back to you. So you get this diagnosis, like how did you feel when you got that diagnosis? I felt horrible. I (sighs) was terrified and I was angry and I was very depressed Yeah, because as a lifelong mover, I mean, I had started ice skating when I was three And being a competitive ice skater led me to ballet because you have to do it for grace and aesthetic components. So you have to study ballet. And so then I kept with ballet and quit ice skating. So my whole life, since mostly I could walk, movement's been part of my life. So I knew from my work as uh, leading these courses, I knew from my professional career, I knew the things that I would need to stop doing what the, what we call contraindicated movements. Mm. So motions that are advised against because they could create harm. So I suddenly felt like these movements had been stolen from me. Like I was, I was Mm. deprived of things that my body loved and that I thrived on. So I was angry about that. I was also scared because from the way they made it sound, like I could fracture at any time. I had the bones of an 85 year old supposedly. So that was horrifying. You know, I didn't know anybody of my age who had this. It was so many emotions mixed up. And it it also was almost a revival of, of the trauma from dancing ballet of suddenly being deprived yet again of something that you really love and having it feel like it's something stolen from you, that it is part of your life. And now it's not. So yeah, it was, it was a really bad time, but I also was fortunate to have access to colleagues that I could tap into to get some insights and give me some referrals and try and find doctors and figure out what was going on. So I do feel fortunate in that, especially as I work with clients now who are really at a loss, they don't even know where to begin. And there's so much information out there. Sometimes misinformation. It's confusing with any kind of health diagnosis. Who's the expert you trust? You know, there's, especially now in this internet age, there's 50 million voices. And who do you listen to? Yeah. Obviously this had a huge impact on you professionally because you became a bone health expert. And I'm also curious in what other ways did that diagnosis and you throwing yourself into really reclaiming control of your life right? In, in what other ways did that change your life or impact you and your personal growth? I'm just really curious about that piece. Hmm. Well, I mean, it obviously affected my professional life in the sense that, yeah, I decided after a while, I spent a year <laughs> figuring stuff out and then started putting together some material for other professionals based on what I'd learned that led me to the whole path of this professional specialty and expertise But I would say it changed things because also I then started doing other things for myself, taking care of myself in a way that I probably hadn't to the Mm. same extent. So I started looking more at my diet. So first of all, I went to see an endocrinologist who was excellent, who helped me understand the bigger picture of this, which also calmed me down to identify that really I wasn't having bone loss. 
I probably hadn't developed it in the first place, but also my tiny frame was going to predispose me to just having lower bone mass because the size of your bones on a smaller person have less mass than a, a larger size person. But additionally, he identified vitamin D de uh, deficiency, which now is very, very common and spoken of. But this is what I was referencing before. Back then, nobody talked about it. Mm. You couldn't find information all over the internet about it. So this was, again, ahead of the time of common information about this. So I was able to remineralize my bones because of the vitamin D supplements that I started taking. And I did not go on medication. I did not need to go on medication, it turns out, which this was also a turning point for me because it made me continue to respect physicians, but have to take charge of my own health. Because the first thing I had been told is, well, you just need to go on medication. It'll be really fine. So I was told the bad news is you have osteoporosis. The good news is you can just go on medication. This is when I was first told about the diagnosis. Well, it turns out the way the medications, at least at the time, now there's different medications, but at the time, medications would halt bone loss, but I wasn't having bone loss to begin with. So those medications that I was told just to go on would have also halted any remaining bone growth that I had because I was still under 30. And so it actually would have been a very bad idea for me to go on these medications. So for one thing, it, it's given me information to, and recognition to safely and, and wisely, I should say, consider advice. So whether it's getting a second opinion or researching further. You know what strikes me about this so far, Rebecca, is you were still pretty young and yet you had this ability to sort of have an inner knowing and advocate for yourself. I mean, usually that comes a little bit later, like a little, you know, with age comes some wisdom and your ability to sort of stand up for yourself, but you really had some, some significant advocacy for yourself. So would you agree? And then if so, do you see that as a pattern or do you think that maybe kicked off some of your own self-advocacy? Well, first, thank you. I haven't <laughs> ever thought of that before. I would say probably a couple things. One is, you know, I moved away from home as a teenager. And when I was probably, I don't know, 11 or so, I started spending summers away. So uh, whether it was camp and then soon after at, at dance programs around the country, and I'm an only child. So there's always been an independence. So I would guess partly from just that experience and also my experience when I was away dancing, it was challenging at some of the places that I was at. And so I did have to learn to advocate for myself and stand up mm. for myself because I would sometimes be in less than fortunate situations where, you know, you're on your own, you're off at some place and you have no choice. So perhaps from that. Also, I think in my family, there had been, in, within my parents, there had been a number of health issues that mm -hmm. they'd confronted throughout their lives. And so I think I grew up knowing that you have to ask questions. You have to be your own health advocate to some extent. Yeah. So I think that was probably a learned experience as well. And I had really wonderful support from my parents throughout this too. So I'm sure that probably helped as well. Sure. So yeah, I guess that sense of, of advocacy is something that I also though developed through this time, recognizing, okay, I cannot just necessarily take the first word that, it, that is told to me by an expert or a physician, but do a little bit more research myself. Yeah. And then also it forced me, as I started to say, I started to change my diet too. So I cut out a lot of, not 
all sugar. I, I still like my sugar, but <laughs> I, I reduced the amount of sugar that I was eating because I would like to snack on things a lot more than probably was healthy. And I also made changes in terms of having much more greens in my diet and getting much more of the healthy greens that were needed, especially because I wasn't a milk drinker. And people always thought, oh, you have to have calcium for your bones from milk. And actually that's not necessarily true. There's other sources of calcium. And then additionally, I sought out a personal trainer so that I could get the heavier loads through my body. Of course, I knew a number of things that I could do on my own, but I also am prone to injury with my body type, very loose ligaments. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to injure myself and that I would have really good guidance. So those were some big changes that occurred in my life besides just the professional side. I'm really struck as you're talking. At this point, you're still under 30. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? Right. And you had to grow up really fast. I'm listening to you talk about you left home as a teenager. You were in situations that today we look back on and would say, oh my God, that was a completely abusive situation of these young teenage dancers, right? And having doctors just like, yeah, just get on medication. It's no big deal. And in a lot of ways, you really had to grow up very, very fast. Yes. And it's also interesting because now it's easy looking back to recognize that. But at the time you're living your life, it's what it is. And you don't really think too much about it. And also at the same time, I do recognize, I feel like I was very lucky. I mean, I've known people who are in their 20s who've gone through breast cancer, like really horrific struggles that they're facing. And this was certainly a a tough struggle, but the fact is I I wasn't fracturing, thank goodness. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't having any actual health ramifications that were either visible or experiencing them or pain or anything like that. So I keep it still in perspective of, especially like now when when I look at certain clients and some of the people that are out there with osteoporosis who really are fracturing at the drop of a hat, that's where my heart goes out to them and trying to really figure out how do you manage, how do you live with it? So I was dealing with a lot, but I also keep it in mind that in many ways, I had it good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a question that might sound a little bit random, but it, I don't know. It just feels like the right moment to ask it. You have a quote on your Instagram by Roald Dahl, who I love. I absolutely love James and the Giant Peach, right? And uh, I just love that author. And it says, those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Mm. And I am just really curious Where has magic shown up in your life? Or is there a way that you feel like a little magic has been at play as you've kind of navigated all of this in your life? Yeah, I think think it was actually a magic moment to be laid off from my startup job because as horrible as it felt, I literally didn't know what was the next step. I wasn't wanting to go into my boss's shoes. I really, in other words, get an MBA. And that that really wasn't something that was interesting to me. And to continue in international trade, internet finance was, just, it wasn't my thing. <laughs> Ballet to international trade. Yeah. Yeah. I could market it, but I couldn't really explain what the actual letter of credit was that was dealing with these buyers and sellers of goods overseas. 
So I don't know where that path was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it was kind of a magic moment to bring me back into something that I, I'm very passionate about and that I love. And that comes naturally to me. I think probably other magic moments. I mean, actually just in the move here, I, I moved skipping way forward um, to almost three years ago, I moved from New York City to Colorado and that has been total magic. I lived in New York City for about 21 years and I loved it and I will always love it. And I will defend it with all my heart to anybody who ever wants to bash it, <laughs> unless you're a fellow New Yorker and then we can talk, we can, we can talk hard about it. But for an outsider, no, the ability to have left and left when I did, which I think was another one of those moments, a magic moment where I just recognized, I'd recognized for a while that it was time to go, but I couldn't leave, which is very common for people there. You get sucked in. It's It's an amazing, magical city, but the magic happened for me when I was finally ready to let go and recognize that I could do this and I could leave and return West. This was your business? You could do this? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, just my life. My life. I had created the business that eventually had become virtual. So initially my business was, I was teaching Pilates and then I built this whole private clientele and I opened my own studio and along this time, I also created this training program and this method called Buff Bones, which is the exercise system for bone and joint health. And so I had created a DVD and I had uh, developed a, a training, a certification program for mm -hmm. teachers around the world to, to study this. So that was not virtual. It was I would travel around the world and I had faculty in different places traveled until COVID, basically, uh, teaching in different places and, and offering workshops and teaching conferences and presentations and such. And I would say around 2015, probably, is when I decided to create an online production of that training. And that was the beginning of the new virtual world that eventually allowed me to uproot. So created this online program. And once COVID hit, I was able to run all the trainings in a hybrid fashion so that exercise professionals, whether they're PTs or movement instructors or trainers, would be able to take the course online and then we meet up on Zoom afterwards. Okay. But even until I left New York, I was seeing clients still. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a completely virtual business. It was partly virtual, but it still had brick and mortar in person. And then I moved to Colorado and part of my ability to uproot and move was having already created virtual components. Yeah. So the Buff Bites program that I was working on developing when Sharon and I first met, I had launched it about six months before I moved from New York. So I already had some, definitely not passive income because there's a lot of work that still goes with <laughs> it, but did not require me to be in one physical location. Yeah. So having developed that product, also being able to teach these trainings wherever I could fly to, enabled me to pack up and easily move running my own business. And why Colorado? Well, so I grew up in Tucson. I had left there when I was a teenager. And ironically, I flew to Denver when I was a teenager, when I was dancing in North Carolina to audition for Colorado Ballet. In 2018, I had come here to visit with a friend and it just felt, it just felt right. And also 
it felt right in a couple of ways. For one thing, it was the mountains. Mm-hmm. The mountains have always felt like home. Sunny skies are important to me. I feel like home. There's something about it being like the West, or I mean, it is the West. Mm-hmm. It's not the Southwest, but it's, there's a lot of similarity, especially with some of the old mining towns. Yeah. And there's a very laid back quality that reminds me of Arizona as well. And I wanted a, I wanted a major city. So that, I mean, leaving New York, there's a lot of things that you take for granted, especially yep. culturally. So I, I needed to make sure that I had some of those elements, great food scene, good culture, you know, there's a number of universities, intellectual stimulation and such. So those, those are things that could counter the outdoors. <laughs> how much of this was just a leap of faith and how much was it like, did you research the universities and the food scene yeah. and the culture or did you just kind of jump in? I'm curious. It was a leap of faith, which is interesting for me because I'm not usually such a leaper, but it turns out I really am. <laughs> I will take forever to make a decision on something. But once I've made that decision, there is no looking back. Like, that's it. Mm. I don't question it after that because I've obsessed forever in making a decision. (laughs) Um, In this situation, I don't think I obsessed that. I really didn't obsess much. It just felt right. But then again, I'd spent about a good 10 years of obsessing, thinking of leaving and never did and trying to figure out where to go. So it's not like it just was random me saying, oh, I'm going to pack up and move. I mean, I'd been trying to think of, of leaving for over a decade Mm. and just never had. And then finally, again, when something feels right, I'm very intuitive in the sense that my decisions come from a place of gut reaction, but I shouldn't say reaction because it's not a reactionary place. It's gut intuition, I guess I would say of just a deep sense of knowing When something's really, really right, it just becomes very, very clear to me. And a lot of that is part of the somatic practice that I teach and that I do. You know, so many of us get those messages sometimes, right? We get like a little ping or a little sort of inner knowing or something. They're pretty easy to ignore at times. And so I'm wondering, is that something you've always had? Have you honed that ability to really pay attention to your gut instincts? Where does that come? If somebody wanted to build that muscle a little bit, how would you suggest they focus on that? It's funny you say this. I taught a workshop about this a number of years ago, Mm. which is how do you listen to that inner voice? And a lot of it comes from meditation. Mm. And it's not to say that you have to be oming. (laughs) The meditation is about quieting your mind. And some of my biggest epiphanies, I would say, have come during moments of meditation where, you know, all of a sudden, like (laughs) I'm meditating, but then there's a a moment of clarity and like my eyes will just open and it's like, oh, I I have to do this. And so it's about removing all of that clutter so that you can hear that inner voice. Because I do believe that we all have it. We can all hear it. It's just, sometimes it gets muted out by other distracting noises, I should say. And so another is part of my movement practice, which is, again, I'm not thinking about other things. I'm just tuning in so deeply about what are the sensations that I'm experiencing in my body when I'm doing very, very subtle, quiet movements and just observing, not necessarily even trying to change anything, but just observing. It's part of the somatics practice. What do you experience what does that safe sensation feel like? Does it feel like the other side? Is it different from the other side? Where does your awareness go? What happens when you move this limb? 
oh, what's that sensation? And just like a curiosity about it. And in the process of a lot of that, I think you start to become aware of sensations, the sensory feedback, and the experience that you have. And in doing that, you start to tune in more to what feels right, what doesn't feel right. And so whether it's movement or something in your life, I think it's a really important and critical skill because, you know, say you're doing something as simple as having a massage. You have to also be able to stick up for yourself. If the massage therapist is really digging into some part of your back that doesn't feel good, you need to speak up. And you have to trust your own body. And this goes into play, not just with massage, but also with movement. You know your body more than any other practitioner. So if somebody's telling you to do something, well, it actually is your body that can give the best cues. So you have to be able to listen to your body. And the more you're in touch and in tune with those messages that your body's telling you, whether it's like danger, like, no, don't go there. Don't like, don't do that motion. It does not feel good. Or whether it's, this just feels right. This, this motion or this movement feels where my body wants to go. And you know what, maybe that little twist with your shoulder is actually the secret to relieving years of back pain that's been Mm. just sitting and residing in your body. You know, I'm just going to jump in for one sec because I think you're saying a number of super important things. One is, again, it's this advocacy thing. It's the marriage. It's the marriage of the somatic and the advocacy. I love it. Exactly. You know, and just really standing up for yourself. And the other thing that I think you're really saying is for you, and this is true for me as well, when I am meditating or when I am moving in some way, I'm out of my head. Exactly. And into my body. And then I always think of it for me, like I've cleared all this clutter out of my head. And so sometimes it'll just be this knowing thought will pop into my head. And so I think that's a really good practice for so many of us is when we can get out of our heads and get into our bodies, we can hear our intuition. Exactly. And I think so many of us, we spend so much time in our heads, right? Like we're paid to have the answer. We need to move things along at home or we have to, you know, we're always sort of in our heads to society sort of rewards us for getting shit done, right? And yet what you're both saying, and I think is so beautiful is it's really getting out of our head that we can truly find some of that inner knowing and wisdom. Completely, completely. You know, I think of two extremes of people. I think of some of the least embodied people that I can imagine who are brilliant intellectual geniuses or just leaders. Sometimes they're just so in their heads and they are a bit out of touch with whether it's your reality or other people's reality. And then I think about some of the most embodied people I know. And when I talk about embodied, I'm talking about people who are just very in touch with their physical self, whether they're, it's just that they're comfortable in their own skin or just the way they stand and hold themselves. And I'm not talking about being rigid and stiff. That's not embodied. I'm talking about feeling loose and at ease within their bodies. And there's a sense, there's an energy about them, a sense of ease and a joy to be around. It's, it's just very comforting and easy to be around these people. So 
I feel that being embodied is one of the greatest skills that we can have and possibly one of the most undervalued in our society. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know that this is a perfect segue to embodiment, but I know you have a new product launching in May that's around a 21-day challenge and would love to hear you tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Thank you. So, you know, I created initially the Buff Bones program for people that were like myself, that were active individuals who were not seniors, not elderly, who needed to do a bone strengthening regimen, but that also came from a place of embodiment, a place from groundedness where breath was part of it, but that was also challenging. And it was very eye-opening to me that there was nothing for this demographic, especially women in their like perimenopausal and 50s and 60s, who it was in some ways rather insulting, in my view, that they were that either you could work out with, you know, a hit workout that was designed for somebody in their 20s who didn't know what joint pain was or, you know, a seated senior workout where you're, you know, you're moving your arms around. I mean, it just was so insulting that there's nothing for women in their 50s and 60s. And it's interesting, you know, now I'm, I'm now 46, I'm getting close to that age as well. So my body really relates to it more than ever. And yet at the time I was still in my late twenties when I developed this. So that was the original intention and what we've come to realize. So I developed the bites product, this five minutes a day program to help you move more. That is also safe for low bone density, but just helpful for anybody really. And then the next thing we realized was there needs to be a starting entrance point to this so that people who couldn't necessarily come and take private sessions or felt intimidated going and trying to jump into a class with one of our instructors around the world or just trying to jump into a class that I'm teaching online or something, that they would have some kind of entrance point that would give them the understanding, the tools, how to move your body for anything else you do in your life. Whether it's you want to go weight train at the gym, whether you want to be going to a Pilates class, whether you want to just be able to safely lift things out of your oven, like a pot roast and not strain your back. It's an entrance point basically into how you're going to move your body and exercise for anything else, but that will also be challenging, that will work on the most important skill set for good bone health. And also, how do you avoid injury? How do you not hurt yourself? And how do you know that you're doing it right? Because that's the big question always. Well, am I doing this right? I'm not sure. And there's no eyes on me, et cetera. Well, what if you can't afford those eyes on you? So the idea was to have something to be very accessible. So it's 21 days, a different video every single day with scoring at the very beginning. So you take four different assessments at the beginning. You score yourself, it generates a score for you with our software that we've built. And then you do the same test at the very end where you can literally quantify your improvements in addition to just noticing how much stronger you are, your balance, your your posture, how much more mobile you are and how much better you feel. That sounds awesome. There's so much about it I love, but I have a particular affinity for tracking things. (laughs) Yes, she does. (laughs) I think it's so powerful, though, when people have a really objective way to measure progress. 
And so I'm sure we will have lots of lots of listeners who this will be very appealing to. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure to put all of the information in our in, a, in the show notes so people know how to find it. And that launches in May? It's going to be launching in May, which also happens to be National Osteoporosis Month, or it's now often being called Bone Health and Osteoporosis Awareness Month, which uh, is throughout the month of May. And yeah, I've been I've been working on it very diligently. The software has been a beast to build, but I'm really proud of it. <laughs> and trying to also, it, it's given me a great opportunity to really allow a teaching and a guidance and a, a followed path from day one to day 21 as you build up on these skills and start to layer on everything that you're learning. I think that sounds amazing. And I will definitely be signing up. That sounds really, really cool. <laughs> You have had quite a journey, right? From little ballerina to developing this software. And I am really so curious if you think back to little Rebecca lacing up her ice skates at <laughs> age three, knowing everything you know now and the journey that you've been on. I'm, I'm curious if you would have any words of wisdom that you'd like to whisper into her ear. What would they be? I would tell her to relax a little bit. (laughs) I would tell her that it's just time to enjoy things. It's okay. I think it's taken me much later in life to learn how to sit back and relax and appreciate things. I think that's been one of the beauties of living in Colorado where I can look out my kitchen window and I can see the mountains in the background and I can have that ability to have space both mentally and physically. I feel like I probably was chasing a lot throughout my life, whether it was, you know, from the the days as in ballet to college, to working in corporate world, to then Pilates, trying to develop your clientele. And then, you know, even once I started in the osteoporosis world and doing all the research for the medical papers that I was trying to write and then developing this program and building uh, the following, it's, it's been one thing after another. And so just, I think one of the things I would remind myself that I feel like I have a better handle on now is it's okay. And things will turn out the way they're going to turn out. You're going to influence them, but they have a way of changing and shifting. And it's interesting, especially I'd say within the last year, my advocacy work has different from what you were referring to advocacy. I'm very, I've become much more involved than ever now in the advocacy bone health world, um, serving on a number of committees and such. And even with that, like, that's what just feels so right, right now. Like just that there's often listening to that inner gut, I guess, going back Mm -hmm. to that discussion that right now, I feel like I'm in a, I'm really in a place where I'm supposed to be. And especially where I have the opportunity to give even more seminars and webinars, uh, like free public webinars as a way of reaching out to more people and helping give more guidance and serving on some committees where, you know, we have a possibility of actually influencing public policy on osteoporosis, like some things that just feel much bigger than me now than they ever have. And I think sometimes waiting for things to happen, even though you can't just sit around and wait, but to trust and continue to find that trust that things are going to turn the way they're going to turn. But that is really fabulous advice, not just for your younger self, but for so many of us. For sure. That 
it is okay to relax and to trust (laughs) and to know that things are going to play out the way they're going to play out. And that is a perfect note to end this conversation. Rebecca, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It has been such a pleasure to have you on. And for our listeners, we really hope that you enjoyed our episode today and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find info in previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. And please join us next time for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life.